First, I want to tell you what I wanted to do this morning, but I chickened out. Um, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to rearrange the chairs this morning and just leave us with two aisles. I wanted there to be one that was really narrow, like only a foot wide, and another one that was really broad and wide, and then I wanted to kind of hide back here and just see a little experiment in human behavior, see how you would respond to the narrow path and the wide path. I have some guesses as to how that would have worked out. My first guess is the first thing many of us would have done is complain like crazy because... Well, that's a subject for a different sermon. Secondly, though, this is what I was really wanting to pay attention to, is I wanted to see how many people would naturally gravitate toward the wide path and how many of us would avoid the narrow path. If you're like me, you wouldn't have wanted much to do with that one-foot-wide narrow path because there's something in our human nature that makes us not like tight spaces. We don't want to feel crowded. We certainly don't want to make other people feel crowded by us. So if there were already people sitting along that narrow aisle, I wouldn't have wanted to like walk past them and make them feel like I'm crowding them. We like open spaces. We like a path with less resistance. We prefer an easy path to a hard one, and that's just, that's just human nature. Well, today we are going to begin uh, what is the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount uh, since August sometime, and all we have left is the conclusion. And in Jesus' conclusion, uh, the sermon ends in chapter 20, excuse me, verse 27 of this chapter, chapter 7. In this conclusion, and we're going to spend three weeks in the conclusion with Christmas, a break for Christmas uh, next Sunday, obviously. There's really not any new commands in the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Even though when I read our passage, which is just two verses today, it very clearly starts with a command. But it's not a new command. What, what Jesus commands us today and what he's going to continue to command us throughout the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount is just. He'll be commanding us to adopt what he's already said. Adopt this. Uh, these these things I laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. Make this a part of your life. Put this sermon on. And to, to encourage us in that direction, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, and here's basically our next three sermons, by giving us a series of two options. He's going to tell us today there are two gates and, and two paths that lead to those gates. And he's going to tell us you have a choice which gate are you going to choose to aim for? And therefore, which path are you going to choose to walk along? Then he's going to say there's two different kinds of trees. And you've got a choice as to which kind of tree you're going to get your nourishment from. Be careful where you feed yourself. And then he's going to say there's like two kinds of places to build a house on. 
What kind of foundation will you choose to be the foundation of your house? And Jesus will be hammering away at this. You have a choice to what to do with what I have taught you. What Jesus has taught you, not me. And even though nothing particularly new will be taught, for many people, this is actually the hardest to swallow part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because really, really clearly, Jesus is going to be saying, like today, there's only two kinds of people. People who believe in me, follow me, and aim for the narrow gate, and everyone else. Really clearly, Jesus is going to be saying, there's one way to what we call heaven, eternal life, salvation. And and it's a narrow way, and most people aren't on it. And that seems, that's a really difficult concept to grasp and to be okay with. We We value tolerance, and there is a biblical kind of tolerance that's 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 a biblical trait but we we like we tend to like the idea that there's many different roads all leading to the same god and we we don't like what seems like the arrogance of people who say i know the truth and everybody else is wrong but the problem is You can't believe in Jesus' teaching and believe there are many different paths to salvation at the same time. You you just can't. It's not intellectually honest because he so clearly taught that that's not true. So which is it? Am I going to believe Jesus when he says there's one way or am I going to reject Jesus in that? Today we're going to look at just two verses. We're going to look at what Jesus was saying. And then, and what he was commanding us. And then, I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about this, this idea of the, the, ex, the exclusive, exclusivity claims of Christianity. The whole, this is the only way thing that is difficult to wrap a mind around. To help us maybe think about that in a way that that we can hold on to a little bit. First, we're going to read this passage. You can even look at the the front of a bulletin if you uh, you know we're here early enough to get one. I guess the whole sermon or the whole sermon text fit on the front of the bulletin. It'll be on the screen too. Matthew chapter seven, just two verses, verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, What we're going to read here, Jesus gives a command, and then he explains why we ought to obey that command. In the New American Standard Version, which is on the screen, Jesus, it reads this way. Jesus speaking, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Verse 14, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's the whole passage. Do you see the command at the beginning of the passage? The command is this, enter through the narrow gate. 
That's the command. In Greek, the word translated enter is an imperative verb, which just means it's, it's a command. This is the main idea of the passage. This is the ultimate goal. This is what we're supposed to obey. Enter through the narrow gate. Everything else, whatever it is, is about how either to or how not to get to that narrow gate, the main goal. The other information tells us what does, what doesn't lead to this gate. Jesus is going to describe in this passage two ways. A Greek word, hadas, which just, it's the word for road, path, or way. There's a narrow way and a, and a broad way. Like, <laughs> it's ironic, I just thought about this this morning. Our church was built on the broad way, <laughs> which is still kind of unfortunate if you think about it. <laughs> Because uh, our church is on Broadway. It just is. And I don't know if we can get that street name changed. Can we call it the narrow way, please? But whatever. That's probably neither here nor there. But there is a, there's an easy road that most people are on. There's a narrow road that most people are not on. But at the end of that narrow road is the gate that leads to life. Eternal life. That's the goal. So we're supposed to live our life now with this as our main goal, this narrow gate in the distance at the end of our life. Now after he gives us his command, Jesus will tell us why we should have that narrow gate as our ultimate goal now. Sometimes it's easy to think, you know what, you know, that's a long ways in the future, like heaven is for later um, and and, you know, I'll think about that when I, when I get there. Jesus says, no, right now, you live with that narrow gate as your aim. And he gives us a couple reasons in there, I think he does, for why we should live that way. First reason why we should aim for the narrow gate is this. No one will wander through the narrow gate accidentally. It's too small. It's too hidden. It's at the end of a very difficult road. You have to aim for that narrow gate if you hope to enter through it. I'll give you this illustration. Let's say you want to go on vacation and you are you like natural wonders, right? Not, not so much amusement parks. And you, you have heard that there is just something you've got to see. It's been on your bucket list. It's this big mountain and an area around it, and it's called Denali. And you heard it described, you thought it was really awesome. So you want to go to see Denali. The problem is, you don't know where Denali is. Would you ever consider getting in the car, loading up your vehicle, and just starting to drive with the idea that if I, obey, if I drive good enough, if I obey all of the laws and I drive defensively, and I'm very safe, and I get good mileage, and I'm courteous to all the other drivers, at some point, I'll just wind up where I want to go. I'll just be at Denali. You would never think that. You would be really, really foolish to think the way that you drive would get you to the proper destination. Right? You have to start with the right goal. It's in Alaska, by the way. 
that's how, sort of Jesus' point here. He said, you set your goal first. This narrow gate, the gate which leads to life, that's the goal of my traveling now. If I set that as my goal, then I can travel the path that leads there. No one's going to just randomly stumble through that gate. It's too small. There are too many other directions to wander. Uh, Jesus wants us to make that the narrow goal, or excuse me, our goal, the narrow gate. Nobody wanders their way into heaven. Jesus is not going to stand at the end of our lives and, and see how we drove and see if it was good enough uh, to get in. We've got to aim for that gate. Another reason why Jesus wants us to aim for that narrow gate. Make it the aim, the goal of our life. And that is this. If your ultimate desire isn't on the narrow gate, you will never put up with the path that leads there. If your ultimate desire isn't the narrow gate, you will never put up with the path that leads there. No one chooses a hard, difficult road without a reason. We will choose difficult paths in life at times if we have a reason. Right? If I want to lose weight badly enough, I will watch what I eat and exercise and do all that other stuff that's no fun. If, you know, if an athlete wants to improve, he or she will train hard to the point of discomfort if there's a goal. But nobody chooses hard things without a reason, without a payoff. And make no mistake about this. Following Jesus, and as we'll see in a minute, he is the path. He is the road. He's also the gate. This is doing life with him. Make no mistake about this. That's a difficult road. Whatever teaching you have heard that calls itself Christian, that you come away from the idea of, if I, if I do this Jesus stuff well enough, my life will be easy, you need to stop listening to that teaching. Because it's just not biblical. It's just not true. You've heard of walking the straight and narrow. Again, this is that point where you nod your head and let me know you're listening. A little feedback here, right? We don't do amens here. Nods is all I get, okay? Work with me, people. Come on. This is where the straight and narrow comes from because the old King James, verse 14, reads this way. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. And you can hear some, or, or you can read some, some really unfortunate sermons because they misunderstood what this means. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Walking the straight and narrow. Straight does not mean without curves. Look at how straight is spelled. There's no G-H in that straight, right? If it was straight without curves, it would be S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T or somewhere, something like that. Okay, um, this straight. Uh, and when I was looking for when I was looking for slides, you know, most of the stuff you see on the screen, I just rip it off the internet from somebody. Um, 
there was a sermon that I saw just the title and it said something like, there are no detours on the straight and narrow. And it was S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. And I thought, oh man, I'm purposefully not going to read that sermon. Straight is not straight. Straight is like the Bering Strait in Alaska. It's a narrow passage of water that can be dangerous. This is straight like straight jacket. A straight jacket isn't one without curves. It is tight to the point of discomfort. The path Jesus laid out for us to walk when we're following him, no one will put up with that path if they don't have the right goal in mind. This is not Disney. This is not follow me and I'll make all your dreams come true. Actually, it is that. It's just not now. Here's some things that Jesus has already said about following him. Just in this, his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's just kicking off his ministry. This is what following him on this path will look like. If you do life on this path, Jesus says you will face persecution. You will endure people speaking evil of you. But when they do, you have to get rid of that anger that happens, that shows up in your heart. Get rid of that bitterness. You cannot retaliate. You have to go toward that person and love even your enemies. You have to be generous. You have to pray. You can't store up for yourself treasures on earth. And in all that, you can't worry. And you can't be judgmental. No one is going to stay on that road very long just for the feeling of being morally superior or better. It's too hard. We only will walk this road if we have the right goal. And that's why Jesus reminds us that his road is the one that leads to life and the wide, easy road that almost everyone else is traveling leads to destruction. Now, I have to take a minute for a giant disclaimer here. Because if we're not real careful, what I'm describing to you can sound like the way I live will determine whether or not I get through the narrow gate. Like Jesus is going to wait for me there and judge how well I walked the road, how many steps I took off of the narrow path, and how many steps I put on the narrow path. And if I had the the correct number of steps... I will get in. That's not what Jesus is saying. That path that is tight and rough and narrow to the point of claustrophobia is not populated by the best people. It's not that the people with the fewest sins are on this road. And the people with the most sins are on the other road. There's all kinds of people on both roads. The on-ramp to this path is faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way anyone will get through the narrow gate is if they have believed in Jesus for their salvation. That is very clear. It's clear in the Sermon on the Mount, and it will get more clear throughout the book of Matthew and the New Testament. The very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes clear this movement that he is starting at this point in his life does not say the best people get in. Because he begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying the the only people who get in are the ones who realize they're not good. (laughs) 
first words in the Sermon on the Mount, I talk, I've talked about them a lot since August. Blessed are those who are, what was first? Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek, excuse me, who mourn, who are meek, and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when I taught through that long time ago, many moons ago now, here's what, here's what we said that meant. Before I can get on this path, I come to an understanding that my greatest need, what I hunger and thirst for is righteousness. And I am penniless before God in the righteousness department. I'm poor in spirit. I'm destitute. I am not good enough to get through the narrow gate. That's like the first prerequisite of getting to heaven is realizing I'm never going to be good enough to deserve it, to get there. I'm poor in spirit. It breaks my heart. I stay meek, which means I cannot begin to be good enough to ever deserve to get there. But I never lose this desire. My desire is to be is to be found acceptable by God, righteousness. That's my hunger and my thirst. In, in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said this, unless you have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you're never getting in. That would have been shocking to his audience because the scribes and Pharisees were the best people. If anybody lived on the straight and narrow, surely it was the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Their kind of behavioral righteousness will never get you in. The kind of righteousness that gets us in is when I place my faith on Christ. The greatest trade-off in the history of the universe takes place. He became my sin. My sin went on him. Him. He looked to God on the cross like he did every bad thing I ever did. He thought every bad thought I ever thought. He failed to do all the things I should have done. He looked like that. And the trade-off is, the New Testament tells us, when I place my faith on Christ, legally before God, I get made to look like I lived His life. I, I never sinned the sins He didn't sin, if that makes sense. I always did everything right like He did. I did all the wonderful things He did. Legally, that's what I look like to God. That's justification. That's the kind of righteousness it takes to get through the narrow gate. And that has to be given. So, so don't hear Jesus saying today, if you don't live good enough, you're not going to heaven. Because he's already told us we have to have a righteousness we can never behave our way into to get into heaven. But, but, being a Christian starts with understanding my, I have a hunger to be acceptable to God. I have my hunger and my thirst, intentional words from Jesus, my most basic need is that God could look at me and find me acceptable. Part of becoming a Christian is understanding I can't do that. That has to be given to me. But once I am justified... Once I am declared not guilty through that trade-off, that shouldn't take away my hunger and thirst for righteousness. It should increase it. Now I want to, I believe that Jesus can give me what I cannot earn. 
He can give me righteousness. So he satisfies my greatest need. So now I want to, because I believe in him, he is best. I want to follow him. I want to do life with him. There's nothing better than him. Being a Christian is about understanding that my greatest need is righteousness. And Jesus did that for me. And then today I think Jesus warns us against this. This line of thinking that says, I think I'm going through the narrow gate, but I have no desire for the narrow path. There's a real danger. There's a real danger in a life that says, oh, I think because I understand that, I understand what happened at the cross, I think I'm going through the narrow gate, but I got no time for the narrow path. Here's what's dangerous about that. Now, Pastor Matt, do you believe that there are going to be people who wind up in heaven by faith, who really, you know, by most measures, you know, didn't lead a very good life? Yes, I absolutely believe that. Praise God, the criminal on the cross shows us that is going to happen. But if I believe I've like understood how to get the key to the narrow gate, but I have no desire for the narrow path, that may show me, that may be a hint that I never hungered and thirsted for righteousness. I never hungered and thirsted for the Lord. I just came to the understanding that heaven would be a lot better than hell after I'm done with my life. Being a Christian is not deciding heaven would be better than hell. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. Every person in every faith in the world believes eternal life would be much better than eternal destruction. Right? That doesn't, you don't have to be a Christian for that. Being a Christian is about, I have this hunger and thirst for righteousness that only comes through Christ. I believe he gives it. And because I believe, I pursue the one who, who gives that. If the narrow gate is my ultimate goal, why would I spend my, my life on a road that doesn't go toward that gate? How I live does not get me into eternity. It doesn't. We are saved by faith alone, period. The grace of God that he promises to give to all those who believe. But if that narrow gate is my goal, why would I travel my life down roads that don't go there? Jesus is saying, have, he's asking, have you, have you chosen? Have you chosen which gate you want to walk through? at the end of your life? And if so, which road will you travel? Now, I wanted to save some time to answer this question. Because to me, when I see this passage, it very clearly says there's one way. The logical question is just like, wow, can, there really, can that really be true? Can there really only be one way? Um, isn't, is, and if so, isn't that mean of God? Or isn't it arrogant 
for you to believe you know the one way and that everybody else is necessarily wrong? Or isn't it possible that there are many different roads or at least several different roads that all lead toward the same God? I want to, this has to be really just bird's eye view, overview, um, and brief. But I want to address this briefly. First, all the religions of the world cannot be true. They just can't. I don't care, you know, which, I mean, I care which one you adhere to, but whichever one someone adheres to, we, we just have to be intellectually honest that they can't all be true. Very briefly, here's some things that the major religions of the world claim that are contradictory. Hindus. Hindus believe there are thousands and thousands and thousands of personal gods, like they have their own individual personality and, and, and sort of being. Uh, they believe that the Vedas, that's the, the collection of Hindu scriptures, that is the ultimate source of truth on earth is the Hindu scriptures. Um, and they believe basically uh, all people will be reincarnated, their soul will go into a different body, and their karma, which is just how they, how they live, they do good things or bad things, will determine whether or not they're reincarnated as something better or worse. Um, all right, that's bird's eye view of Hinduism. <laughs> Buddhists, not only do they not believe there are thousands and thousands and thousands of gods, Buddhists believe there is no God you can know. There's no personal God. And they are seeking nirvana, which is a grunge band from the 90s, but it's also some sort of state um, or basically you, you rid yourself of all desires. Uh, you know, you can't be disappointed if you don't have any desires. <laughs> By the way, it's a very non... Uh, Christ says, I know your desires. And I'm going to... F- in me, every single one of them will be fulfilled. Buddhism says, if you strip yourselves of all desires, you'll never be disappointed. Third, uh, Jews, Christians, Muslims, there's the, there's the monotheists. They believe there is one God, but they each claim um, exclusivity in how to please them, how to get to them, and, the, and their scriptures are the only authority. There's simply no way all of those things can be true because they all say necessarily the other is false. If you do a math problem and I do a math problem and we come up to different answers, we are not both right. We might both be wrong, or one of us might be right, but we're not both right. All right, so here's the answer then. And this, is, this, has been, this is more common now than it has been in a couple of hundred years probably. But So maybe this is the answer. There's a God who exists above all of those things, all of those faith systems. And this God has revealed little parts of himself to different people in different places so that if they are true to their faith system, even though they are wrong about the other ones being wrong, they're, they're true about a certain aspect of God's character. And if they follow that path, all of these can somehow lead to the same God who's above all of these things. That's fairly common. 
Um, one, one, a parable of this, which is a very old parable from India, is the story of the blind men and the elephant. The parable goes like this. Um, that, you know, there's this elephant, and these blind men happened upon this, and they each, uh, with the senses that they had, examined this elephant, and then they all talked to one another to, to tell each other what an elephant is really like, since they couldn't see him. And the first one had grabbed the elephant's trunk. And the first one said, oh, I, yeah, an elephant is kind of snake-like. It's long and slender, and it turns in all directions. The second one had touched the elephant's leg. I was like, what? That's not at all what an elephant's like. An elephant's like a tree trunk. It's kind of solid and round. The third one was like, are you guys crazy? He had touched the side of the elephant. He said, an elephant's just like a big wall. and It's just, it's just impenetrable. It's, it's just massive. The fourth one was like, who touched the elephant's ear said, you, you know, you guys are all nuts. You're blinder than I am. Uh, he touched the elephant's ear. He said, an elephant is like a palm leaf that's really flappy, but it's like made of leather. Right? And the other one touched his tail and had a different description. Now, the moral of that story is all of these guys were right in their own way because they, they just each had a different part of the elephant as a whole. And the idea is that's what world religions are probably like. God is above all those things, and people have, they just have this one little aspect of God that they do know well, and they're all right. Now, if that sounds attractive, and if you think that solves the problem of being arrogant and claiming exclusivity, I want you to know, if you hold to that view, you are just as arrogant as the rest of us. And here's why necessarily you are still saying everyone else is wrong and I am right. <laughs> right? Everyone else is blind. All these religious wingnuts that say their way is the only way, they're the idiots. They're blind. And I, this I am enlightened, and I can see what none of them can see. You're still making a truth claim. You're still saying you know something about God that everyone else doesn't know. The question is not, how do we figure out how all these things can be true so that there is no exclusivity? The question is, which claim of exclusivity is true? Because all truth is exclusive. All truth is exclusive. And if you have examined Jesus and decided, I believe Jesus... You can't believe anything like this and believe Jesus at the same time because really, really clearly Jesus claimed exclusivity with the Father and to be the only way. And I want to show you just three places that the New Testament makes claims of exclusivity. Maybe you've heard this one. Jesus can't just be a good moral teacher who is telling us a way to God because Jesus claimed to be God and be the only way to that God. Very famously, John 14, 6, maybe you've heard this one. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Really quickly, I want to tell you the story of when Jesus said that. By John 14, Jesus is staring down the barrel of the cross. He knows he's about to die, and he tells his disciples, he's trying to uh, prepare them, and he says, guys, I'm going away. 
I'm going to be gone soon. And, and I'm not going to tell you, I, I can't tell you like where I'm going, but you know the way. And one of his disciples, a guy named Thomas, sort of, I imagine him raising his hand and going, uh, Jesus, I have one problem with what you just said. If we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way? And that's Jesus' answer. He said, I am the way. If you know me, you know the way to where I'm going. That's our word, hadas. That's the road. I'm the road. From today's passage, the narrow path, that's Jesus. I am the hadas, the way, the path, the road. In a, in a different passage, Jesus called himself the gate. He used a different word, but the same concept. John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Jesus told his disciples, you know the way to eternal life if you know me. You know truth if you know me. You know eternal life if you know me. You know the gate to eternal life if you know me. And then the, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, here's what he did not say. <laughs> he did not say at the end of everyone's life, when they you know, stand before God, then they will finally understand that all these different thought systems and religions all had their own part of truth, and we will all see that they were, they were all in their own unique way correct. Not what he said. He said this, At that moment, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every single person will admit this, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Christianity is a truth claim. And that's its foundation. There is one way, and it is Jesus. But Matt, isn't that narrow? Yes! Of course it is! That's why in Jesus' very first sermon, he calls it the narrow road. Yes, it's narrow. Not because God is bigoted, because all truth is narrow. All truth is narrow. There's always way more false than there is true in everything. Next time you're on a plane, pay attention. See if anybody goes and knocks on the cockpit and says, I think it is very narrow and arrogant that you in there, Mr. Pilot, think you are the only one who knows how to land this plane. That's narrow, but it's true. When they get ready to land, he may, t- I don't know how it works, I've never been up there, but he'll tell somebody to put the, 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 the wheels down. Right? The co-pilot doesn't say, oh, you think just because you say so, we have to put the wheels down before we land. That's so narrow. Yes, it is. It's also best and true. High school kids, uh, Mrs. Wilson is your chemistry teacher. If she asks you on your physical science test coming up, this question, name one thing that is formed when oxygen and hydrogen combine. If you see that question and write down, baby goats. Baby goats are combined when oxygen and hydrogen combine. 
She will count that wrong. You know why? Because truth is narrow. And as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as religion is concerned, the question can't be, how do I work things out to where all these things can be true? Because that's nonsense. Truth doesn't work that way. The question is, what is true? And if Jesus is true, then he is the only way. He cannot be a good moral teacher that taught us good things about how to live. The guy said he was God and said he's the only way. That is narrow. But if it's true, then we better reconcile ourselves to him. By the way, before I close, I'll tell you that biblical Christianity, I think, should make us the least arrogant of any claim to exclusive truth. And here's why. This, this biblical faith system is the one that says nobody is getting in because they're better. For the most part, every other religious system, you get reincarnated in Hinduism, supposedly, based on what? How good you were. Judaism. Right? The, the, the faith of the Old Testament with no Christ. How do you get, how do you please God? How good are you? If a, when a Muslim is going to stand before Allah, he's going to hope he's done the right things and been better than most other people. Jesus said, Oh, nobody's getting through this gate based on their own goodness and their own merit. So when I find, when I'm, introduced to someone, I see someone who has a different faith system than me, if I think I am superior to them, I've missed the whole point. I just know the gate that is narrow. All right, I've used all my time. I had more about that, but we'll save that. I want to make sure I end with this. If Jesus said anything today, it's this. There's a very narrow gate that is him. And there's a narrow path which is only put up with by people who have decided that narrow gate is my greatest need. So I want to ask you just a couple of questions this morning. First, have you ever decided that the narrow gate who is Jesus Christ, that is going to be the goal of my life? Because Jesus is going to say in this, you have a choice you're not going to wander through that gate someday. You've got to choose. You've got to make it the goal, the aim of your life. Maybe you've never decided to, to enter through that narrow gate. You do that by believing that what Jesus did at the cross was so that you could have righteousness you would never earn. Maybe you made that gate the, the aim of your life a long time ago, but if you're honest about what path you are on, it's a little wider than it is narrow. <laughs> Would you bow your heads? I'm going to lead you through just a little bit of prayer. Um, first, if you are that first kind of person, you have never made a decision to enter through the narrow gate that is Jesus Christ. You can just pray this way, just in the, the quietness of your heart. You don't have to say this out loud. I won't make you come up here. You can just pray this. Jesus, 
I know I am not righteous. I want you and the righteousness that only you give. That I might enter through the narrow gate. One day I believe when you died, you died for me. If you have made that decision earlier in your life, I would just want to give you just a minute of quiet here to examine the path on which you walk. Not that it will get you into heaven, but are you pursuing what you said was your greatest need when you made a decision for Jesus? wonderful thing about Jesus is he will always take back the repentant sinner. And the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner repents. So if he's brought something to your mind and heart about the path you have been walking, I just pray you would confess that to him that you might turn back toward the narrow path. God, the, the wonder of your plan is not that salvation is so narrow. It's that there's a plan at all. You would have been fine without us, but you died to save us. That you are the only way is narrow, but it was either you or nothing. So I thank you for the amazing grace of making yourself the gate. May we do life with you. The narrow way, the truth, the life. My Lord Jesus, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.